Coming to you live from the downtown studios of the Comedy Nerd Broadcasting Tower, welcome to the Comedy Nerd Christmas Special! Tonight's guests include Bing Crosby, Dean Martin, Tito Puente, If We Have Time, The Beatles, and making his first public podcast appearance since he faked his own death nearly 40 years ago, comedy legend Andy Kaufman. Also tonight, Letters to Santa, Letters from Santa, a special reading of Toys the Night Before Christmas, Viewer Mail, and Rudy Aguapo, our eye in the sky, tracks old Santa Claus on the Doppler radar. You're listening to the CNB Orchestra. I'm your announcer, Johnny Cobb. And now, here's your host, Matthew Patrick Berry. Well, hello, ho, ho, and welcome to the first annual Comedy Nerdcast Christmas Special. We've got a great show in store for you tonight, folks. There's lots of great acts, treats for the kids, and if we're lucky, real lucky, maybe a visit from old St. Nick himself. So let's not hold this up any longer. Let's start the show. Johnny, how's it going? You got big plans for the holiday? Oh, yes, sir. A bottle of Hennigan's and a carton of Lucky Strikes. (laughs) You know they're toasted. Oh, yes, and so am I. (laughs) Oh, Johnny. Now, to start the show proper, we thought we'd do something special. So what I have here are actual letters to Santa written by real kids all across the USA. And don't worry, kids. Santa has seen these letters already and knows what you've asked for and has graciously allowed us to borrow them so we could read them aloud on the air because, well, because they're just so darn cute. And what we did was we just grabbed some random letters from the mailbag. So we've not seen these before. So let's see what we've got. Letter number one comes to us from Billy in Topeka, Kansas. And Billy writes, Dear Santa... I've been a very good boy this year. I made good grades, I helped my little sister learn to tie her shoes, and I kept my room clean almost all the days. And for Christmas, I want a red big wheel with a yellow seat, an Evil Knievel hand-cranked jet cycle, a box of Silver Surfer comics and National Lampoon magazines, and a plastic kiss guitar. Thank you in advance for all the swell presents. Yours truly, Billy. How cute, right? Well, Billy, I hope you get everything you asked for. Except for those Silver Surfer comics. Those are a little too adult for you. Santa might send you some little Lulus instead. Letter number two comes to us from Betsy, age nine, in Frostbite Falls, South Dakota. Dear Santa, I hope you're doing well and that you've seen fit to place me on this year's nice list. 
I made straight A's, even in gym, which I don't like very much. I ate all my vegetables, which I also don't like. And I gave Grandma baths when her hip was broken, which was gross, and I didn't like that either. What I feel I have earned for Christmas are one easy bake oven, one Sunny and Share TV Studio playset, all the new Partridge Family records, and one talking Mrs. Beasley doll. Sincerely, your friend, Betsy. Well, now, I think Betsy's right, Santa. She earned every one of those things. And maybe send her a hundred bucks and some Valium to help forget that whole helping grandma thing. Letter number three is from Pete, age seven, in San Diego. And Pete writes, Dear Santa, I have been as good a boy as any little boy could be expected to be in the swamp of inequity that is my life. I have suffered humiliating subjugation at the hands of my oppressors and firmly believe that I have earned due justice and the right to see my slights avenged. What I ask of you this Christmas is to abduct my brother Todd. He waits for a girl he likes every day after school in the alley behind the Pizza Hut on Madison. It would be an easy place to grab him. Then take him to the old abandoned slaughterhouse on Route 5 and keep him there for several days, torturing and lightly dismembering him until he agrees to not be mean to me anymore. Also, I would like you to send a couple of guys over to Kenny Abbott's house. He lives at 2559 Sequoia Drive and is the meanest fourth grader in our school. And I'd like you to have two guys, and big guy Santa, not elves, hold him upside down out a second-story window until he pees his pants, or says he won't pick on me anymore, or both. Then, please have them send pictures of his pee pants to everyone at my school, and then throw him in a dumpster. And maybe the dumpster is on fire. I'll leave that up to you. I would also like you to kill my parents while I watch. Yours truly, Petey. Aww. I think we've all been where Petey's at, and I think Santa should do some of those things for him. Our next letter is from Mary Josephine in Brooklyn Heights, and Mary Jo writes, Dear Santa, I have been a very good girl this year. I started a letter-writing campaign and got all the kids in my class to write to the House Select Committee on Assassinations and demand that they release all the information they have on Lee Harvey Oswald and the Kennedy assassination and finally tell the truth to the American public. We have a right to know what happened to our president, Santa. I also started a neighborhood chapter of the Society for Cutting Up Men and distributed copies of the Scum Manifesto to all my neighbors. My dad says I'm a rebel rouser and need to be more like my sister, but I say he's a patriarchal bully who wants to keep me in the chains of a regressive society that only values women as sex objects and baby makers. And my sister Mary Angela is a pick-me-ass bitch just waiting to marry Rich and crank out new members of the Nazi Youth League. Anyway, Santa, what I want this year is for you to donate $50 in my name to the Save the Whales Fund, $25 to the Hurricane Carter Legal Fund, and $25 to send a mouse to college. And I would like a Bobby Sherman poster for my room. And our final letter comes to us from Richie, age 13 in Longdale, California. And Richie writes, Dear Santa, I'm 13 this year and having a lot of conflicting thoughts. I don't even know if I believe in you anymore, but if you're real, can you please bring me two bottles of Old Harper, a carton of cigarettes, a bag of marijuana, the new G.I. Joe Kung Fu Grip action figure, and Brave New World by Steve Miller Band, and pictures of Maureen McCormick. I sure hope you're real, Santa. 
And that concludes this year's Letters to Santa. And now it's time for our list of the top 10 funniest Christmas movies. As long as there have been movies, there have been Christmas movies. And over the last hundred years, they've become as important a tradition to the season as decorating the tree and telling Uncle Brad that you're not really having anybody over this year and you can exchange presents after the new year. And while we rely on the melodramas to warm our cold, wintry hearts, we rely on the comedies to lighten the mood, to lift our spirits, and to remind us that Uncle Brad showing up anyway with a half-gone bottle of beef eater and what may or may not be an underage prostitute is okay, because he's family. And you can turn the story of this year's ruined holiday into next year's blockbuster holiday comedy. So in the spirit of the season, here are our top 10 funniest holiday movie comedies. And at number 10, it's Batman Returns and A Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton is the master of the macabre, and it turns out, the maestro of Mary, and the man behind two of the season's darkest Christmas comedies. Batman Returns is a pitch-black social satire that pits the caped crusader against three of Gotham's least merry rogues who are attempting to hijack the holidays in order to make their own sinister statements about capitalism, family squabbling, and the mistreatment of underpaid executive assistants. And the Burton-produced Nightmare Before Christmas is a gleefully morbid riff on the old Rankin and Bass claymation specials that takes a deep, dark look at the whole holiday season itself that is so intensely satirical, it's created an annual debate as to whether it's actually a Christmas or a Halloween movie. We may never know the answer to that decades-old mystery, but we do know that both movies are devilishly funny as hell. And at number nine is Jingle All the Way. Most parents have always known the pain of shopping for Christmas on behalf of both Santa and themselves. But in the increasingly commercialized holiday toy space, parents in the 80s and 90s carried the even heavier burden of having to score that year's hot item. And 1995's Jingle All the Way, produced by Christmas movie golden boy Chris Columbus, drew snarky laughs from the pains that two overworked dads go through to secure the action figure that will in turn secure the ridiculously conditional love of their terribly materialistic kids. Cartoony performances by Sinbad, Phil Hartman, and Arnold Schwarzenegger did nothing to impress critics, but still won the hearts of holiday viewers and made Jingle All the Way a modern seasonal favorite. At number eight, it's The Muppets A Christmas Carol. The first Muppets production mounted after the death of creator Jim Henson the Muppets Christmas Carol had big felt to fill, and Henson's son Brian and the remaining original creative team did an admirable job of creating great comedy by treating their adaptation as a serious reading of the Dickens classic. And from that committed, dramatic approach, the movie's able to get laughs from even heavier subject matter than the irreverent Muppets had before, in addition to their usual fussy chatter and elaborately constructed sight gags. The result is something cathartically funny, but reliably silly at the same time, and that deals with the loss of the Muppet's father and primary voice by looking at life, death, and legacy in a genuinely haunting way. Number seven is Trading Places. Two generations of Saturday Night Live come together in this John Landis farce. 
Dan Aykroyd gives an expectedly solid comedic and dramatic performance as a white man being pushed down the helter-skelter towards poverty and social irrelevance. And Eddie Murphy, in just his second feature film, is already becoming a nuanced actor as a black man being given the opportunity to live a life of privilege. And Trading Places still stands today as one of comedy's best looks at institutional racism in America and draws big laughs from its rollicking take on its classic nature-versus-nurture premise. And oh yeah, the story takes place at Christmas. At number six, Krampus and Gremlins. Ever since Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein, the mixed genre of comedy horror has managed the dual feat of getting big laughs while also giving genuine chills. And two of its funniest entries managed the triple threat of also being Christmas movies. Krampus is a dark recasting of Christmas Vacation as an American Beauty-like look at how today's antagonistic socio-political culture is affecting the family holiday gathering. It's also a stylishly creepy interpretation of the old Yuletide monster tale that uses its title Beast as a clever metaphor for the new cultural darkness that stalks our family relationships and threatens the very fabric of who we are. Gremlins, again from the pen of Chris Columbus, has a much lighter touch, but is no less adept at mingling shocks and chuckles from its homage to old B-movie creature features and joyfully anarchic Marx Brothers-like monsters. Its statements may be less profound, but Gremlins' comedy is just as rambunctious. In at number five, it's Home Alone. Ah, what's funnier than watching two burglars get pummeled repeatedly by a precocious eight-year-old boy? Well, it turns out about four other movies, but not much else. There is, of course, much more to Home Alone than its cleverly unflinching slapstick. Written by John Hughes and directed, of course, by Chris Columbus, Home Alone begins as one of those classic John Hughes crowded house movies, but eventually juxtapositions its bustling family energy in which the young Kevin is both batted around and lost in the shuffle, with the quiet isolation of his time on his own without the family he had grown to resent. Directed mostly from a kid's eye view like Leave it to Beaver, Home Alone draws a sentimental and sincere humor from a clever and well-meaning little boy's look at the world and the holidays from a fresh new perspective, and manages to balance its emotional story exceptionally well with its sillier and more violent side. And at number four, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation was the first of the modern Christmas classics. Holiday movies through the 70s and 80s were steeped in a kind of nostalgia that either made them seem of another era or that trapped them helplessly like a bug in sap, rendering them lifeless and ineffectual in an age where people had long outgrown the old Christmas cliches. Based on one of John Hughes's family-centric short stories from his days with the National Lampoon magazine, Christmas Vacation took a far more cynical look at the season and paved the way for works like Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire and The Santa Claus to ridicule the new rituals that developed over the last quarter of the 20th century. And in shedding the old mandate that Christmas movies had to be saccharine, sanctimonious, and sentimental, Christmas Vacation gave viewers a freshly cynical way to laugh at what we had turned Christmas into and what we had let it become. And in that way, its lesson is no less poignant than that of White Christmas or It's a Wonderful Life. It just allowed viewers a rowdy and more relatable sleigh ride in getting there. At number three, A Christmas Story. 
It was a throwback to a gentler time and told with a classic humorous mix of painful nostalgia and detached amusement. A Christmas Story was a famously low performer at the box office that found its footing in basic cable reruns and eventually annual marathons. But beyond that sleeper hit story and its reputation for required yearly viewing is a truly funny tale of the cruelties and indignities of childhood, the fleeting yet all-consuming hopes and dreams of Christmas, and the timelessly quirky idiosyncrasies of the American middle-class family. Barging its way to number two is Bad Santa. Bad Santa is the darkest of the dark holiday comedies. And that's even if you count Die Hard. From the twisted minds of the Coen brothers and director Terry Zweigoff, Bad Santa is a rude, crude tale of cold, cynical grown-ups co-opting Christmas for their own capitalist gain, and the awkward, neglected little boy who innocently melts the ice around the bad man's jaded heart. Before that happens, though, Bad Santa takes fiendish delight in savaging everything that is beloved and sacred to the season and its traditionally treacly cinematic offerings. It is the greatest anti-Christmas movie Christmas movie of all time, and because of that, in its own way, is one of the holiday's most endearing gifts. And our number one funniest holiday movie is Elf. Most entries on any funniest holiday fair list are typically cynical satires that, as we've already heard, take swipes at all the standard sentiments while keeping a cool, nearly indifferent aloofness, which makes it all the more remarkable that our choice for the absolute funniest is an unapologetically sweet-natured fable that embraces and celebrates every last drop of sugary sweet syrup that Christmas has to offer. Originally very much one of those dark satires, written for Jim Carrey in his black comedy Cable Guy phase, it was recrafted by the great John Favreau into a purposefully all-ages-friendly tale that honored the old Rankin and Bass TV specials rather than mocking them. And the result is a hilariously fun fish-out-of-water story that, despite what some folks on the naughty list might call third-act problems, warms the old heart as much as it gooses the old funny bone. And thanks to wonderful performances by Farrell, Zoe Deschanel, Bob Newhart, Mary Steenburgen, that kid, Ed Asner, and James Caan, as well as Favreau's earnest and imaginative directing, Elf will be the kind of timeless comedy that makes us laugh any time of year no matter what dark, edgy humor is in style. And that concludes our list of the top 10 funniest holiday movies. And now for something completely different. It's time for Letters from Santa. We here at Comedy Nerd still believe in equal time. So to offer a well-balanced counterpoint to the letters we read earlier to Santa, here are some random letters written by Santa to some kids. Dear Tommy, I'm going to have to deny your request for a puppy. Looking over your many, many, many appearances on the naughty list, the elves and I have developed a psychological profile on you, and it indicates that you have a hard time connecting emotionally to animals and people. And that if we gave you a puppy, things just wouldn't turn out so well for old Snoopy. Or your family. Or any hobos or club kids that live in your neighborhood. Santa's going to send you some pamphlets on some exciting new developments in the pharmaceutical world instead. It'll be just as fun as strangling a puppy, I promise. Dear Susie, I'm afraid I won't be able to get you an easy bake oven this year. 
After researching your family history and mostly looking at pictures of your mom and grandma when they were young, I've decided that giving you an Easy Bake Oven will only trigger your latent food addiction early, sending you by age 11 into a greasy downward spiral of cupcakes, muffins, and tarts that would only serve as to ruin your teenage years when you can get the most out of being thin and beautiful versus your middle-aged years where, let's face it, you'll be sliding downhill already and wouldn't be attractive all that much to Santa anymore anyway. But you do want to be attractive to Santa when you're in high school, don't you? And yes, Santa totally gets the hypocrisy of a man of his girth saying such things, but it's different for dudes, and you know that, Susie. Santa, sorry, that's just the way it is. Dear Mahesh, I'm going to go ahead and not get you the toy airplane you asked for. I am sorry, but encouraging your interest in aviation is only going to lead to a lot of misunderstandings that would not see you getting a job with American Airlines so much as a lot of intense interest from the authorities and your redneck neighbors and eventually the true crime podcast that investigates the murder of a local white girl for which you've been framed and imprisoned for the next 30 years. I'm sending you a book on careers in the hotel industry instead. Dear Randy, I'm not bringing you that Barbie doll you asked for. Because you're a boy, okay? And maybe Santa's too old-fashioned and set in his ways, but what do you want from me? I'm a 900-year-old elf who only interacts with the civilized world once a year. Give me a break, alright? Dear Haley, I'm going to go ahead and veto your request for a soccer ball because, well, you're a girl and... Santa doesn't mean to be blunt, but you're going to have enough trouble attracting a man without becoming a soccer player to boot. So, I'm sorry, but you're getting Susie's Easy Bake Oven. Santa's only trying to help. And dear Shaquan, I'm not bringing you a cap gun. Santa can't live with another young black man's murder by the police on his conscience. Those guns don't even look real, but still, you'd just be asking for it. And that's Letters from Santa. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dean Martin. Oh, oh thank you, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> Folks, nice to be back here in the jungle room in downtown Chicago. Hmm? <laughs> Wherever we are, folks, I'm glad to be here. Let's get to some music, huh?
he pulling out in the store? Do you really hold me tight? All the way home I'll be warm If I was slow, goodbye My dear, we still goodbye Long as he loves me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow And now it's time for our list of the top five cruelest holiday traditions. The holidays see a lot of traditions, both sweet and silly, from family dinners to ugly sweaters, that make our year's end a wonderful and whimsical escape from the everyday doldrums. But the season is also host to a handful of opportunities to let out our inner pettiness and to indulge our naughty sides. In at number five, it's Yankee Swap. Yankee Swap is a wonderfully infuriating version of Secret Santa that's caused more family discord than a game of Monopoly. The way it works is that one person opens a present from a pile, and then each subsequent gift unwrapper has the option to steal a gift that's already been opened if they don't like what's in their own box. It's the perfect way to say, your happiness is not as important to me as me having the hoverboard that you're holding. But here, here's something I don't want at all to make it up to you. And when it's employed in the workplace, it takes things to a Lord of the Flies level. Because what better way is there to bring office politics into the holiday season than to openly display the corporate pecking order at the company Christmas party? Yankee Swap allows everyone to know just where they stand and to see exactly how thin the ice that supports the entirety of their well-being and security really is. Now, you could argue that no, no, it's just about the gifts. And... That may be true when you're merely humiliating your relatives at home, but are you really going to swipe that Oculus away from your boss or your boss's favorite toady and hand them the world's sexiest soccer mom mug that you're holding instead? Only if you want to spend the next eight financial quarters trying to sell crack houses to Crips on the south side. And don't forget to factor in the added shame of seeing the gift you bought be the one that everybody's getting rid of faster than a grenade with the pin out. Yes, Yankee Swap is the next best thing to an actual civil war. In at number four, pretending you're not home. Pretending you're not home is a fine holiday tradition that isn't just for trick-or-treaters anymore. It also works great for annoying carolers, unannounced neighbors bearing shitty gifts or subpar cookies. It also works on drunken exes trying to reconnect for the holidays, religious cults trying to convert you, soul-seeking Krampuses, anyone trying to deliver a fruitcake, and all your horrible relatives. My family once stood so silent and so still for the three hours one Christmas morning while my grandma knocked on doors and peered through windows that we should have gotten royalties from the furniture. In at number three, birth presents. Anyone born in the month of December has the unfortunate luck of seeing their birthday compete with the most formidable gift-giving occasion of the year. And the closer their special day lands to the 25th, sees the chances of them getting an actual standalone birthday present diminish by 10%. And that's just hard statistical science. And if your birthday happens to fall on the big day itself, well, you'll be lucky if you get so much as a happy birthday from your ninth grade science teacher on Facebook. I mean, 
Sharing Jesus' birthday is like being a juggler on the Ed Sullivan show the same night that the Beatles are on. I'm sure you're a great juggler, but get off the stage already. And on behalf of those of us who have Birthmas gifted friends and family, we're genuinely sorry, but it's hard out here for a holiday shopper. And Christmas is a force greater than all of us. We can't do anything about that. You can always change your profile settings and just move your birthday to July already. And at number two, shopping for in-laws. Again, buying presents is not for the weak. It takes a strong commitment to get out there every year and find those perfect gifts for the loved ones you've known all your life. That, unfortunately, scarcely leaves time to try to get to know someone who's only in your life because of happenstance and who you have little to nothing in common with and who you don't really spend any quality time with just so you can pick out something that you have to assume they don't already own, which you don't know that they don't. So your only real option is to get them something so devoid of personality or personal connection that it may as well be some free giveaway item at some weird hotel meeting room conference for the lowest level employees of a giant faceless corporation. So I'm sorry, in-laws. I mean, I could go the route of, hey, I remember one time you had on a Batman t-shirt, so I got you this Batman pencil set. But the capacity for awkward moment is far too high. So, yeah, you're getting a miniature countertop pool table. Or a clip-on cubicle fan. Or maybe a six-pack of Code Red Mountain Dew. I don't know. Um, let me go see what's in the trunk of my car. And the number one cruelest holiday tradition is lying to children. Yes, most parents gleefully lie to their children on a regular basis about a multitude of things, both big and small, all year long. But the fourth quarter holidays are packed with so many major and intense lies that leave scars that rarely heal. First, there are the family lies. Of course your real dad wants to see you on Christmas, but you know he's still on that secret mission to, um, Kansas? Then there are the gift-related lies. Yeah, can you believe it? Every store was out of iPhones. So weird, right? Anyway, here's a Moto 5. It's totally just as good. And then there are the cover stories. Oh, drinking? Me? No, I just, I had an extra Benadryl. Then there are the lies that we ask kids to tell for us. Listen, your Aunt Jackie doesn't need to know anything about the party at Cousin Gina's last night, okay? She wouldn't have had a good time. And then there's the biggest Christmas time lie of all. That Jesus was a white guy with magical powers who was born in December and grew up to invent the concept of presents. Oh, and also the whole Santa Claus thing. These are the lies the kids remember because you repeat them so intensely and so often. And they're the lies that form a basis of cynicism and mistrust that cut so deep Radiohead writes songs about them and it destroys practically every relationship that your children will ever have. Totally worth it, though, for the cute pics of your kids on the lap of some alcoholic department store Santa. And those are the top five cruelest traditions of the holiday season. Now, you may have noticed that we're not running many commercials tonight, and we did that to make a statement. 
and to try not to further taint the holidays with more crass commercialism. And when our ad buyer, Guy, heard about this, he was surprisingly calm and on board, and even asked if he could be a part of it. So here to give a reading of Clement Clark Moore's Twas the Night Before Christmas is our ad buyer, Guy Gardner. Thank you, thank you. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Thanks to Acme Pest Control's new mouse guillotine. No more flopping bodies or unpleasantly loud snaps with Acme's mouse guillotine. Acme, we built a better mousetrap. And it takes the head off clean. The stockings from the new Judy Garland collection at JCPenney were hung by the chimney with care. In hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of Hershey's new dark chocolate decadence bars danced in their heads. Hershey's new dark chocolate decadence, a fantasy you can live with. And Ma in her Macy's designer sleep bonnet, and I in my Catcher in the Rye-inspired cap, knew this fall in the men's section at Gimlet's. Have you been to Gimlet's lately? You need to see what you're missing. Had just settled down for a long winter's nap, on our brand new posturpedic mattress from the Mattress King, out on Route 6, just past the yarn barn. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open our new Kernenflugen shutters from Ikea, and threw up the Fernenflugen sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. Ever wish you could capture the moon? Well, with the new Kodak Nocturnal Camera, the first camera designed exclusively for taking outdoor pictures at night, you can. It's okay to shoot the moon, as long as you do it with the Kodak Nocturnal. When what to my wandering eyes and Kodak lens should appear? But a miniature sleigh, on sale now at the Home and Garden section at Woolworths, and eight tiny reindeer, sold separately. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick, trademark of the Coca-Cola Corporation. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Drive Chevy, watch Lancer, eat Swanson's by Michelin, on Comet, on Clearasil, on Ludwig and Gibson. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now shop away, shop away, shop at the King County Mall. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from Prince of Milan, and his clothes were all furnished by Paco Rabanne. A bundle of toys had flung on his back, all made by Mattel, who keep playtime on track. Mattel. Makers of the new Hot Wheels Thrash and Thunder racing set. Mattel, we keep playtime on track. His eyes how they twinkled, thanks to new designer frames from LensCrafter. His dimples how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. Maybe it's Maybelline. The soft-toasted lucky strike he held in his teeth, and the smoke rings he made like a healthy, relaxing wreath. 
He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of smucker strawberry jelly made with real strawberries. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly being, and I told him a subscription to Weight Watchers magazine. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And lying his finger aside of his nose, with a quick puff of new and improved Nasalex, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the new redesigned Edsel. And I heard him exclaim as he flew without stopping, Merry Christmas to all, and to all merry shopping. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Mr. Bing Crosby. Hello again, everybody. You know, the holidays are a time for family, and as you and the kids get older, it gets harder to come together and enjoy these special times. This war in Vietnam and these goddamn protesters can get your kids all squarely. Now, boys are easy. If a boy gets a little too out of sorts, you can just smack him around a little, put him back in line, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Everything goes back to normal. Sweet, sweet normal. Girls, though, girls are tougher. And they try your patience. They lock the door to their room. They yell at you to not listen in on the phone conversations. And sometimes they bring a black guy home for Christmas dinner. But you don't let it bother you in front of them, folks. No, you don't let them see that it's getting to you. You don't give them the satisfaction. And what you do is you eat the dinner, you laugh at their jokes, smile the smile like nobody's business, mabbity-boo. And then after dinner, you invite everybody into the parlor. You gather around the piano. You suggest, hey, let's, let's sing a few songs and... You let the kids sing a few. You let the wife even jump in and maybe sing a song about cooking or cleaning. And you even let the black guy sing a Negro spiritual or whatever it is he wants to bring to the table. And then, kind of nonchalantly, you, you sort of suggest, Hey, does anybody mind if I sing a song? And then you noodle around on the piano. You act like you don't know what you're going to play. And then... You kind of find yourself into a melody and a rhythm and say, Oh, you know, I haven't done this one in a while. And then you look that guy right in the eye. And you don't break eye contact for the entire song. You just, you look at him with a, a glint of suppressed rage and you twitch and lefty there. And you sing it right to him. And it goes a little something like this.
And he won't be back for New Year's Eve. Bippity-boppity-boo. Now it's time for a segment we like to call The Top 10 Funniest Holiday Songs of All Time. Now, Christmas music has been the topic of heated debate for decades, long before people were declaring wars on Christmas or arguing the merits of holiday designs on plastic coffee cups. They were arguing the taste level of people who do and don't love the annual slew of syrupy songs that ooze out of pine trees every December, and we're debating the proper date on which it's appropriate to cruelly inflict those songs on all those who would just rather not. And here at Comedy Nerd, we love Christmas music. We love loving it, we love hating it, we love celebrating the songs we like and making fun of the ones we don't, and most of all, we love the ones that make us laugh. And here's our favorite top ten. At number 10 is a song that likely sums up a lot of people's feelings about the holidays better than any others. It's the Singing Dogs with their lovely rendition of Jingle Bells. Rivaled only by the Batman Smells version of the same song, this is the quintessential anti-Christmas carol and gives a song every Yuletide season to those voices who want to be a part of things while also letting us all know just how much they hate it. The brainchild of two Dutch sound engineers in the 1950s, this song has been a charting hit in nearly every decade since. And hey, what better way to avoid the whole Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays feud than to do away with human language altogether? At number nine is a song that's been given the comedy treatment by everyone from Alan Sherman to Jeff Foxworthy. But it's this version by a couple of beer-swilling Canadian SCTV characters that ranks as our favorite. It's the 12 Days of Christmas by Bob and Doug McKenzie. You start. Okay. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a beer. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtlenecks and a beer. Bob and Doug, the McKenzie brothers, were breakout characters on sketch comedy series SCTV in the late 70s and early 80s played by comedians Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. The two brothers hosted a fictional show called The Great White North on the SCTV network. The joke was that they were Canadian, and that was pretty much it. But they were hilariously Canadian and began a long love affair between Americans and their neighbors to the north of making endless fun of one another. And in a decade that loved its slobs versus snobs comedy, their terrifically trashy Casio keyboard version of the classic holiday countdown song won the hearts of slobs and snobs on both sides of the border. And a beer. In at number eight is the closest we'll probably ever get to a classic French sex farce and a Christmas carol. It's I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus by Jimmy Boyd.
An aspiring country and western singer, 13-year-old Jimmy Boyd was signed to Columbia Records and was forced to record juvenile novelty songs and achieve the greatest success of his career with the silly but genuinely amusing tale of a little boy who gets upset after observing a late-night smooch between his married mom and an apparently Randy Chris Kringle in the throes of severe Don Juan syndrome. The song has been covered literally hundreds of times over the years by the likes of the Ronettes, the Four Seasons, the Jackson Five, and a weirdly adult-sounding John Cougar Mellencamp. But the best part of any version is when the kid ends the song wondering just how badly his dad is going to kick Santa's ass when he rats out his mom and her new secret mistletoe lover. Crashing in at number six is the youngsters with their cautionary tale of drunk driving, Christmas in Jail. Originally in obscurity from the 1950s, when drunk driving jokes were all the rage, this little gem had to wait ironically until the age of mad and dare to become a better known Yuletide tradition. But it was in the 80s when Dr. Demento, bringer of so much novelty goodness, began spinning the tune on his ubiquitous radio show every holiday season. So the youngsters finally obtained fame at the young youngster age of 63, and the two members that were still alive at the time had the dollar and 98 cent royalty checks every year to prove it. Swiveling in at number seven is more than just a novelty song, it's also blatant advertisement. It's the shamelessly hula hoop pitching Christmas Don't Be Late by Ross Bagdasarian, a.k.a. The Chipmunks. All right, you chipmunks. Ready to sing your song? I say we are. Yeah, let's sing it now. Okay, Simon? Okay. Okay, Theodore? Okay. Okay, Alvin? Alvin? Not only did Bagdasarian's sequel to the equally loony hit single The Witch Doctor combine Christmas, unapologetic product placement, and mind-blowing recording technology in a way that could have only happened in the late 50s, it also gave us one of pop culture's first and greatest smart-ass kids, the toy-obsessed, ADHD-suffering, troublemaking Alvin. Alvin. Alvin, that's your cue. I've always wanted to do that. And as a kid who often had his name yelled in increasingly loud decibels, and often at holiday get-togethers, I've always had a fondness for the least cooperative chipmunk, 
and hold his comedy of rebellion near and dear every Christmas season. Coming in at number five, surprise. It's my dick in a box. It's in a box. One of the Lonely Island's most memorable digital shorts for SNL, Andy Sandberg and Justin Timberlake's ode to 90s R&B and the annual tradition of traumatizing your girlfriend with unsolicited 3D dick pics is racier than Rudolph trying to beat rush hour traffic on the 405. Landing like a bomb on Hiroshima at number four is a pitch black satire that has only gotten darker the closer the world is ebbed to the brink of destruction. It's Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al Yankovic. Not many people could make the thought of nuclear holocaust on Christmas Day seem as innocently charming as kids doing the hokey pokey at the local community center, but Weird Al brings his usual blend of mirth and madness to this end of the world tale that unfolds at the formerly most wonderful time of the year. And it's made even better by a video that combines old footage from the atomic fearing 50s with new black and white footage of Al and friends in the nuclear winter fearing 80s. Remember being afraid to die in a nuclear war in the 80s and pining for the simpler fears of being ravaged by the A-bomb in the 50s? All nostalgia. Spinning its way to number three is Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. Written to offset the mountain of Christmas carols that towered over Hanukkah's lone seasonal offering, the dreidel song, the Hanukkah song was an immediate cultural sensation when it was first performed by Sandler on SNL in the winter of 1994. Its impressive and ever-changing checklist of Jewish and at least partly Jewish celebrities made its way into yearly radio rotation and has since become a true seasonal standard that really did give all the little girls and boys out there of Jewish faith a holiday song all their own. Lying dead in the snow at number two is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Grandma 
first recorded and released independently in the late 70s, one of the few holiday sing-alongs to feature a third verse that takes place at a funeral. Elmo and Patsy's ode to the seasonal tradition of mixing booze and pills garnered a cult following that grew with each Christmas until the song was eventually a bona fide coast-to-coast hit. It got so popular that it was eventually turned into a TV movie that missed the point entirely by keeping the grandma alive in the end and forsaking the dark comedy that made the song so uniquely funny to begin with. And globe-hopping its way to number one is Merry Fuck Christmas from the South Park Christmas album. Hey there, Mr. Muslim. Merry fucking Christmas. Put down that book, the Koran, and here's some holiday wishes. In case you haven't noticed, it's Jesus' birthday. So get off your heathen Muslim ass and fucking celebrate. Nothing better illuminates the war on Christmas than South Park's racist former elementary school teacher, Mr. Garrison, traveling the world to spread Christmas cheer while explaining in foul-mouthed rants to various other nations why their choice of religion and activity on December 25th is dead fucking wrong. Because nothing's funnier on Jesus' birthday than telling all the f***ing out there who think Christmas is the only f***ing year-end holiday that they're a bunch of f***ing crybaby Some of our song entries, by the way, may not be suitable for younger ears. We probably should have mentioned that at the start of the list. And that concludes our top 10 funniest holiday songs. Now, for all you Beatle fans out there, we have a special gift for you tonight. So, back in the 60s, every Christmas, the Beatles used to record a special holiday greeting just for their fans. And if you were in the official Beatles fan club, every December... You'd get a little flexi-disc record in the mail with a recording they'd made, and they were never released to the general public, so it really was something special for the kids in the club. Only in 1966, while the Beatles were in the studio beginning work on Sgt. Pepper's, the fan club members got a flexi-disc that just had a bunch of outtakes from specials the Beatles had appeared in in previous years on the BBC, and no one knew why until now. We've acquired a copy of the original recording made in the studio that autumn, so you can listen for yourself and see why it was deemed unfit for release for over 50 years. Ladies and gentlemen, and Beatle fans, The Lost Beatles 1966 Fan Club Christmas Record. And good evening, youngsters. I'm George Martin, producer of The Beatles. This is the annual fan club Christmas record. Typically, the lads do the record themselves, but they've been a bit preoccupied lately. They've been obsessed with something called LSD. Now, normally I don't go in for such tomfoolery, but... Well, this new obsession has given them a new appreciation for my talents for orchestration and chopping up reel-to-reel tapes and splicing them back together in random order. So... I'm typically a jam-on-top-of-the-toast type of fellow, but, well, these new experiments in the recording studio have given me a lot more to do. The lads at the moment are in the loo. I suspect they'll be along shortly, and hopefully come along and wish you a happy Christmas. 
Oh, well, no. Well, not saying here, here they come now. Lads, lads, we're recording the Christmas record. Then we can do that. It looks like they brought a friend along with them. Who have you brought along, fellows? Paul, who is this gentleman? Oh, you're George. This is Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Jesus, well, how how appropriate since we're recording birthday wishes of sorts. I'm Jesus, man. Jesus Christ! Uh, where where did you find this uh, gentleman, Jesus? Me. Oh, you know, he just like he came to my house, mm-hmm. you know, and knocked on the door, oh, knocky, knocky, knock, and I looked out the window with a looky, looky, loo, and answered the door like you do, and oh. well, I asked the gentleman like, "Who are you?" And he said, oh, "I'm Jesus." Jesus, and Christ, I thought, man. well, you never know. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, yeah, I thought I'd bring him to the studio and meet the lads because, you know, oh, if he's, Jesus he's going to be joining us in the, the studio for recording the part of the album. Well, okay, let's let's see what uh, Ringo is up to. Ringo, what, what do you have to say to the fans for looking at my hand? Christmas. Been looking at my hand for a while. It's I've got a lot of rings on it. Uh huh. Hmm, fascinating. Well, maybe that's why they call me Ringo. Ringo's. Been working on a song. Some of oh, you might be excited yes. to learn. It's oh, I've writing a song for a while for now. In the George. past, yes, several years. Yes. Why don't you yeah, show me? Almost finished, eh? Yeah. Ringo. My song doesn't need any tuba. Tell him. Yeah, Ben. It's yeah. about an oh, octopus. Yes, it's hello, oh. Jesus. Yeah, I'm oh, Jesus a, Christ, apropos, man. we're recording a a bit of a birthday message for you. Oh man, yes. it's my birthday too, man. Oh, what's mm-hmm. happened? What yeah, you it's your birthday. Yeah, it's my birthday too. Oh no, that's good. Oh, Ringo, Ringo, why don't you get on the drums? Oh, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go, Let's make an album. Say it's your birthday. Yeah, my birthday too. Yeah, we could say it's your birthday. Get to that. It's my birthday too. My birthday too. Yes, no, Paul. That's you say it's your birthday. You say it's your birthday, man. It's my birthday too. Perhaps you'd like to add a string quartet. You're gonna give me a co-writing credit on that, right, man? Oh, right now they're going to be busy with that for quite some time. Let's see what George is up to. The other George. <laughs> no, I'm also named George. George, what are you... I've decided not to play guitar anymore. I see. I'm going to play the sitar on every album. Now, certainly. No, yes, well, that's... That's all. You're the Beatles. Out. You can... No more guitars. Yes, you can do whatever you'd like. I'm going to record everything backwards from now on, too. No, not that, though. No. Yes. Everything's always... EMI wouldn't. No, that... Everything's going to be backwards, and... Abbey Road doesn't allow Recorded underwater. All right, well, let's... Let's talk with John for a moment. John, would you like to wish the... Members of the fan club, uh, uh, happy Kringle and so forth. No. <laughs> One of your witty worthy no, words, Jumbles. Get the fuck away from me, George. Here's a message, fans. Paul's a twat. And my oh. wife's a bitch. Not and this record terribly. is a piece of Paul shit. Fell out of Paul's corny ass. Holiday, but there's your message. Oh, yes, no. That's what I want to say. They're your fans, yes. That's my message. Merry fucking Christmas, fans. Oh, now, fellows, I, I've taken the liberty of inviting the group from down the hall, the Normans recording. They're going to come in and say hello, Who's out there? briefly. Oh. You're bringing Mick and Keith in? Uh, no, it's, 
you don't play it like that. Is that no. the plan? Maybe it's Helen Shapiro. Yeah, you blow that in. Helen Shapiro. Called the Pink Floyd. Oh, that's that psychotic group from down the hall. Oh, the psychotic oh, group. Right. They're psychotic. You've invited some psychotics here. No, they come. Very good. Very good work, George. That's a lot of rings on mm -hmm. my hands. I was helping when I woke up this morning. I'd get to share tea with some psychos. They were psychotics. Well, all right, children. As you can see, we're very busy with the recording you, of the late uh, record. Fuck okay. off, George. I hope you and Brian die. All right, children. As you can see, we're very busy with recording of the record. So I'm going to take it upon myself to speak for the lads and wish you a happy Christmas. A wonderful new year. And happy Kringle. Let's release the whole record backwards. Oh, I can't take much fucking more of this. And now it's time for our list of the top six worst holiday TV specials. Holiday specials are as ubiquitous every year as tinsel, tracking Amazon packages, and avoiding eye contact with the Salvation Army guy. But for every Charlie Brown or Emmett Otter's Christmas, there are dozens of shows that miss the mark. Here are our picks for the six absolute worst. At number six... It's Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey. Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey is just what it sounds like. A cheap attempt to replicate the success of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, only without the famously inspiring hit song, or any shred of charm, genuine emotion, good writing, or entertainment value. And the fact that they try to wrap it in the big floppy ears of Christian fundamentalism makes it all the more crass and un-Christmas-like. There's a reason none of the other donkeys let you play in their donkey games, Nestor. It's because you suck and your ears look better on Dumbo. Horrible holiday special number five is 1990's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Leave it to television executives to take a perfectly morbid tale of holiday manslaughter and to try to slap it with a happy ending and a kidnapping amnesia plot so complicated it'd make the Days of Our Lives writers blush. Combine that with some of the cheapest animation this side of Deputy Dog and one bafflingly oversexed redhead, and you've got the makings of a true holiday turkey. Coming in at number four, it's Casper's First Christmas. No one would ever accuse Hanna-Barbera of being too artistically ambitious, but there's so little thought given to the plot of 1979's Casper's First Christmas that it makes your average episode of Megilla Gorilla look like Breaking Bad. Basically, just an excuse to force the Yogi Berra characters to cross over with the then-current Casper the Friendly Ghost Saturday Morning Cartoon series, the show haphazardly mixed haunted houses, Dickensian lessons, and half the plot of A Very Brady Christmas and a hodgepodge of cross-promotion that ultimately feels emptier than a naughty kid's stocking on Christmas morning. Coming in at number three is the truly horrific Christmas Comes to Packland. You've actually got to give the creators of Christmas Comes to Packland some credit for not faking the pretense of making the show about peace on earth or the spirit of giving, and just cutting to the chase and making it about getting video games into the hands of hypnotized child consumers. The Pac-Man Saturday morning TV show itself was a not-so-thinly-veiled half-hour weekly infomercial for the family of Pac-Man games and merchandise, and Hanna-Barbera doubled down for the show's holiday primetime network debut, and produced a show in which the entire plot hinged on getting an injured Santa sleigh full of consumer goods to all the expectant little girls and boys by Christmas morning, 
lest they start rioting in the streets over having to settle for spending Christmas enjoying time with their families. Also, there were ghosts, and Miss Pac-Man gets to stay home and take care of an injured Santa. At number two, a very Brady Christmas. Riding high on the seemingly never-ending wave of late 80s Brady nostalgia, A Very Brady Christmas was an attempt to give the franchise more emotional depth and a more modern, 30-something dramatic aesthetic. And it did not work. At all. Giving us a Brady clan in the throes of marital woes, career angst, and existential crises was about as effective as a Scooby-Doo reunion where Velma's struggling with a go-nowhere job and Shaggy strung out on heroin. What made matters worse was trying to tie it all into a wonderful life-inspired lesson about life, death, and remembering how good you really have it by trapping Mr. Brady in a third-act Christmas Eve construction site collapse. In the end, the only lesson truly worth learning was that the Brady Bunch should never, ever be allowed to grow up. And at the top of our terrible, terrible holiday specials list, no surprise, at number one is the Star Wars Holiday Special. When I first said the words top six worst holiday specials, I'm certain that 90% of our listening audience likely thought Star Wars Holiday Special, and rightly so. It is the low bar under which all things horrible stoop to limbo. A nearly indescribable montage of weird 70s celebrity cameos, seemingly written by a team of people who hadn't seen the script for the other parts of the special, and oddly disjointed Star Wars content, the show featured long sequences of Wookiees arguing without subtitles, a random video by Jefferson Starship, cooking lessons from Harvey Corman, and the morbidly fascinating sight of Carrie Fisher apparently enduring the discomfort of her contractually obligated appearance with enough quaaludes to choke Jordan Belfort. Despite featuring the first appearance of Boba Fett in the Star Wars universe and a genuinely funny turn by B. Arthur as a sassy cantina manager, the Star Wars Christmas special has earned every parsec of maligning that it's gotten for a long, long time and galaxies both near and far, far away. And that's our list of the top six worst holiday specials of all time. And now, a moment all the kids have been waiting for. It's time for Rudy Aguapo and his mobile Doppler radar to track Santa's movements as he arrives in America to deliver Christmas goodies to all the good boys and girls on Christmas Eve. Take it away, Rudy. Rudy Aguapo here, you're high in the sky, and my trusty mobile Doppler is all fired up. I think, yes, I think we have a blip here up over the eastern seaboard. We've been tracking this blip all the way from Liverpool, England, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, and children, it looks like Santa Claus has, yes, he's made his way to the USA. We're getting word that a large crowd is gathered in New York's JFK Airport to greet Santa with signs and streaming and good holiday cheer. We can see the sleigh now heading over the rooftops of Lower Manhattan, making its way to JFK, and I think, yes, yes, we're getting eyewitness accounts of a little red light at the front of the line that is, of course, right off the Red Nose Reindeer. Well, we can now see Santa's making his way into JFK airspace, 
I'm not sure if he really has clearance from the tower, though. I, oh, my God, he's in the path of the 747. I'm, surely they'll see him. I, oh, oh, God. Oh, God, no. They just slammed into San Oh, my God, no, children. Oh, oh, my God, there are flames and presents everywhere. Raining down like a biblical plague. lose Rudy we lost Rudy um and scene <laughs> just a just a mercury theater kind of thing we were we were doing there children everything is fine Santa's Santa's just he's mm, let's go to one last commercial and now I'd like to do a little song that I wrote about the simple joys of the season. This is called On Christmas. We gather round the old piano and O Tannenbaum and Winter Wonderland Now we're so far away from who we were those days Give anything to go back again The city hustles us all through the snow Our phones glow, it throws us to and fro The world turns so fast Year after year goes past But one day a year It'd be the way it always has Wherever you may be on Christmas Wherever you may roam Wherever late December Seas you spend
Telling me our time together this evening is just about through. I'd like to thank all our guests, as well as Johnny Cobb and the CNB Orchestra. Our apologies to Andy Kaufman. We ran short on time. Maybe next year, Andy. And I'd like to especially thank all of you, our dear listeners, who very quickly become like family to me. And a big thank you to all the children who were harmed in the making of this episode, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. None of us would be where we are today without you brave little tots. And with that, this is Matthew Patrick Berry, bidding you a fond farewell, a happy holiday, and a hilarious new year. Come, 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 come.